We're so thankful that God does everything beautiful in his time. He's aware, isn't he, of what's happening? Sometimes we get anxious because he doesn't seem to be on our timetable. But his timetable is always best. A happy Sabbath to each one of you. It's good to see you all. Um, Swell and I uh, want to thank you for your kind gifts last two weeks ago when we were here. And uh, they are being put to good use. There will be a a card forthwith coming. But we've, uh, last couple weeks have been very busy for us. This has been a slow start for us in a district. Uh, We've had a a number of challenges. We've shared one with you about downsizing. I do believe this Sunday we will be moving into our house, which uh, will be a good thing, but um, it has slowed us. We've had a number of unexpected events, and some of you are aware of one of them. Um, Last week, uh, some dear friends of ours are returning from a funeral in Florida. And as they were passing Orangeburg, South Carolina, uh, an 18-wheeler crossed the median and, uh, and hit their vehicle head on. And unfortunately, uh, the husband and the two daughters did not survive the accident. And uh, the wife and the son did, and they are uh, in, well, the wife is still in ICU. But uh, we went down there to minister uh, to them and uh, to uh, the grandmother and grandfather who came, flew in, and they are still there. If you could keep them in your prayers, it would be uh, deeply, deeply appreciated. Uh, They have a long journey ahead of them now. Uh, and then um, <clears throat> this week also, um, I, I discovered I had gallstones, and I had them removed this week. I thought I would bounce back quicker. <laughs> I guess I am not the bouncy type. <laughs> so <clears throat> after the message today, I will be laying low um, and just... Uh, recuperating. But uh, I do want to, again, echo the welcome to, to all here and to our guests, but particularly the Earnharts are here today, and it's a joy to have them here. You know, something, congregation, you're not aware of <clears throat> is uh, I had heard so much uh, about Pastor Earnhardt's evangelistic series, and uh, in Hayden, Idaho, we were talking about bringing in uh, an evangelist for 2019 and uh, suggested we bring in John. Shared a little bit about John, everyone got excited about him, and so we lined up John. And so John and I have been working together to get that series ready, and I had to call him and tell him, John, I've got bad news, I'm not gonna be here. And he said, where are you going? I said, North Carolina. He said, really? What district? I said, you might have heard of it. Upward in Fairview, and he thought I was pulling his leg, but um, it's good to have them here with us. You know, um, this week, we have, uh, we've really been confronted with the reality that uh, the end of all things is before us. 
you know, sometimes we get so busy, we don't pay attention. But um, it's been interesting to hear of how our planet is heating up in the summer and then getting really cold in the winter. And it's just not sustainable. I mean, many of us sitting here can just remember, not too, too long back, it wasn't like this. And, uh, but it is getting cons considerably worse. Areas in our world that were once habitable are no longer because of it. And uh, of course, you know, we know about the earthquake in Southern California. We had another one this morning, by the way. 7.1 this time, same area. But uh, these, are, these are evidences, dear friends, that the great controversy is almost over. Amen. And our, the time that we have to share with others is dissipating. We have neighbors and family and friends that need to know what we know. And, um, and God has placed us where we are to share with them before, uh, it's old, before time is too late and we're told that the, the night is coming in which no man can work. So let's make sure to share. Make sure everything's right with our soul and our Savior because we don't know when our probation closes. And this dear family was coming home and uh, they were four hours from home. And... Um, Things didn't turn out the way they had expected. And let's continue to keep them in prayer and, and share the soon coming of Jesus with others. Well, this is my second message here with you, and I shared with you that I wanted to share my testimony. Now, <clears throat> I won't be talking as loud as I probably would. And, um, and I probably won't be moving around as much as I normally would. So if you feel the need to stand in the back, to stand up to, in case you get sleepy, you will not offend me in the least. But I want to I wanna share my testimony with you today for three reasons. The first is, is that I want to bring glory uh, to the one who died for me. I'm so thankful that, that Jesus has found such incredible value in me. And the truth is, he feels the same towards you. The second reason I want to share my testimony is uh, perhaps there's someone here that needs to hear it. Perhaps something in my message today, in my story, will give hope and encouragement to another and strengthen your walk. And I pray that God is able to do that uh, with, with what I'm going to share. But the third reason is that I would like for you to have an opportunity to know me a little better. And in time, I'll get to know you, all of you. It'll take me a little longer, but, but hopefully you'll get uh, at least a snapshot of your pastor. So before I share, I would like to begin with a word of prayer. And if you'll bow your heads, I'll kneel. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for a love that would not let us go. We thank you, Father, so much for these sacred hours that you have blessed us, Lord, in placing us in a country where our freedom Lord, we can, we can worship you according to the dictates of our conscience as we understand in your word. Thank you. And Lord, as we gather here today, we ask for your presence. You know where each person in this room is in their journey with you, what they face this week, what they're going to face next week. I pray, Lord, that you will give to each what is needed now. We're reminded, Lord, that Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so we ask 
for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for it is not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, that we may recognize your voice speaking to us. Please, dear Lord, for your name's sake, we ask that you will hide the speaker behind the cross, that it'll be Christ only seen, heard, and felt now. We thank you for this, as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was born uh, January 16, 1964, in Manhattan, New York. Um, my parents are from the island of Cuba. And in 1962, they left the island uh, to America in search for freedom. Because as many of you know, uh, Cuba, when Fidel Castro took over, uh, became communist. When they came to uh, the U.S., of course, they landed in Miami first, and it was very crowded there with other Cubans who had come. And they had friends in New York City, and so they headed for New York to get established. And uh, after the first winter, a couple winters, they realized that New York probably wasn't a place that they wanted to be at. Their Cuban blood uh, was too thin. And so they decided to head for warmer country, and they went west. Unfortunately, they, don't, they didn't know uh, America very well, and they ended up in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, that didn't turn out really well. <clears throat> so as soon as they were able to, they continued to go west until they ran out of real estate, and they uh, landed in uh, Southern California, which is where I grew up. Uh, just give you a snapshot of my home. Uh, my father was um, a very angry atheist. He wasn't just an atheist, he was an angry atheist. And in, in time, uh, that story will flesh out and it'll make more sense. But, uh, but you couldn't talk about religion in my home without my father getting in your face and uh, very angry about it. So you can imagine the challenges that that brought. My mother was a very devout Catholic. And <clears throat> when I say devout Catholic, in the United States, Catholics are more quasi. They tend to show up at church on uh, Easter and Christmas. But, uh, but my mom was going to church at least twice a week. She was very devout. I have an older brother, five years older than me. His name is Tony. A younger sister, five years younger than me, her name is Vivian. <clears throat> uh, the Adventist message came to our home in 1971. We were, uh, by this point, we were living in Glendale, California. And when, <clears throat> when we moved to Southern Cal, moved to Glendale, uh, the Lord moved my family into a neighborhood where right across the street was a Cuban lady. Her name was Vidalina. She also left Cuba for the same reasons. And like my mother, didn't know English. And so they became fast friends. And in 1971, um, the Glendale area was struck with a, a large earthquake, 6.5, Silmar quake. My family had never been part of anything like that. And my mom completely freaked out. Of course, how many have been in an earthquake? How many have been in at least a six-pointer? So you know about freaking out in an earthquake. It can, it can produce that rather quick. And so my mom ran across the street to her friend Vidalina, banged on the door. Vidalina opens the door, as calm as a cucumber. 
as my mom is, is saying, what in the world was that? And Vidalina says, you know, that's one of the signs of Jesus soon coming. And uh, so that kind of stunned my mother. She went back to the house, thought about that for a moment, and thought, you know, that lady was awfully calm. Now, <clears throat> one thing I didn't share is that Vidalina was a Seventh-day Adventist, but had not witnessed to my mother for fear of losing her only friend. So they had got to know, they'd known each other quite, quite some time, a few years, but she'd never shared for fear of losing her friend. But now my mom is at the house thinking, Vidalina's awfully calm. So she marched across the street again and banged on her door and said, you're calm. You're holding out on me. You know something. And so from that, Bible studies ensued. And uh, my mother discovered the Sabbath, discovered, always had a reverence for the God's word. And, uh, and it became part of her life. And she embraced the three angels' message. And that is how the message came into our home. Now, during this time, <clears throat> um, my, my brother uh, got caught up in alcohol and drugs. Number of challenges trying to uh, acclimate to a new culture brought some very, very big challenges for him and in our family. Uh, and as a result of that, my mother didn't want my sister and I going down that path. And so she sent us uh, to the local academy, uh, elementary school at this time, later academy, uh, in an effort to, to, to avert that same problem with us. And at the academy, uh, I began Bible studies with the youth pastor of our Glendale Spanish Church. Um, and at age 12, I was baptized. I, I can remember the day, I can close my eyes and just see it. It's really unusual because I... I was attending the Glendale Spanish Church, Adventist Church, yet the baptism took place at a Romanian church, and I still have not quite figured out how that happened. But uh, it was in L.A., and it was a beautiful facility, and they put up a pool outside. It was a beautiful sunny day, and I can still see the sunlight glistening off the water and that beautiful blue. I can, and I still remember the, the euphoria, really, is what it was as the pastor let me down into the water and brought me up, and I knew that my sins were washed away. I was quite a rascal as a kid, and, uh, and so I, I was really looking forward to being baptized. There was one thing about my baptism, though, that I misunderstood. I thought that once you were baptized, that you would never sin again. How many here had that misunderstanding? I found over the years that there have been others. I guess I'm the only one in the room. Okay. But I thought when I, when I came up out of the water that I would never sin again. I would get the blessing. And, uh, and, and so I was, I was really happy about that. I still remember driving home down our street, Vine Street, Glendale, and seeing my friends out here playing, and a scuffle broke out as we were driving by, and I thought to myself... <clears throat> that will never be part of my life again. Towards the end of that week, I was playing with one of those kids. We got into a disagreement, and I punched him in the mouth. And uh, as he was laying there on the ground, <clears throat> and I was standing over him, um, I realized that, that something had gone wrong. That, uh, that somehow I, 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 I should not have done that. 
and that I had missed the blessing. And in my young mind, what I imagined had happened is that God was busy that day and, and didn't notice that my baptism because he was involved in more important things. And so in my mind, I didn't, I didn't think that I registered very high on, on God's list of, of important things. And uh, I, it really messed with my mind. I, at the time, had a number of friends who were not serving God. And by the way, young people, I want to share with you a, a saying that I have come to learn later is true, that association determines our attitude towards spirituality. And these young friends uh, exerted quite an influence on me, and already my hold on God was loose. And uh, I entered into a life of sin for a number of years, and I'm not going to go into any detail. There's no need. I grew up in Los Angeles. You don't have to go far to find sin. In fact, in this day and age with electronics, you don't have to go far at all to find sin. But, uh, but I lived a life of sin. There are many things that I did that I am very much ashamed of. There are things that I wish I could forget. But I can tell you, friends, that I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin when we ask for it. And I am so thankful that one day those memories will be gone. I am so thankful that there is power in that blood. So grateful for that. Well, I, at this juncture, I want to give thanks to God for a mother who prayed for her wayward boys. My mother was a prayer warrior par excellence. If there was a, oh, what do they call that in the NFL where they register the people that were really good? What is that? A Hall of Fame, thank you. If there was a Hall of Fame for prayer warriors, my mother would be there. Um, <clears throat> whenever there was prayer meeting, my mother was there. If there were prayer gatherings at the church, my mother was there. If there were prayer gatherings that took place at people's homes, my mother was there. And in our church, in the Glendale Spanish Church, there were often all-night prayer vigils. My mother was there. If we went on vacation and we learned of a prayer group nearby, my mother was there. If my mother had a conversation with you and she learned you were a prayer warrior, she whipped out a piece of paper and pencil and wrote down the names of her three children and handed it to you and looked you in the eye and thanked you for praying for her kids. That was my mother. My mother knew how to storm the gates of heaven for her children. And I can tell you, I'm here today because of her. When I was uh, attending Southern years later, getting my master's, I was uh, pacing at the very back of the library there because I didn't want to be interrupted by anyone, reading my book, and uh, one of my books. <clears throat> and uh, a young man walked by me, and uh, he smiled, I smiled at him, and he walked on, and I kept reading, and all of a sudden, I couldn't concentrate on my reading. I felt impressed to go see that young man. 
And I, was, and I was talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I got to read. I got classes. I got time. I don't have time to talk to this kid. Um, at the time, I was probably about, I was in my mid-30s. This young man was in his early 20s. And anyway, I tried to go back, and I kept rereading the same paragraph over and over, and I wasn't, you know what I'm talking about. I, nothing was sticking, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll talk to the kid. And um, <clears throat> so I went, and I looked for him. And we started chatting, and his name was Javier. Javier, nice to meet you. I said, Javier, I'm just curious. Where are you from? He said, uh, California. No kidding. What town did you grow up? Glendale. Really? You're an Adventist. Yeah. Uh, did you, your family go to the Glendale Spanish Church? Yeah. I said, you probably knew my mother. Justa uh, Baute. Oh, yes. She used to come to our home, and we would pray with my parents all the time. We'd pray for her kids. We prayed for you, he said to me. Wanted him, the Lord wanted him to know that those prayers were answered. I remember one day uh, in our home growing up, I was in my teens, and uh, my friends were in the car waiting for me. And we were about to go off and get into some trouble. My mom didn't know that. And I was, as I reached for the doorknob, the front door, to leave, I heard my mother's voice. And uh, she called me, and when I turned around, she was standing on the far end of the living room, and she was just pointing at me. And she said to me, George, one day you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to serve God. And I was stunned, especially in lieu of where I knew where I was heading with my friends. And I, I didn't say anything. I was respectful. I just kind of looked at her. I closed the door behind me as I was walking down the stairs uh, to the car where my friends uh, were waiting for me. Um, I remember I, I, I just chuckled to myself uh, at how insane that was. And I got in the car and I told my friends what my mother had said, and we all laughed. And as we were driving down the, the street, I remember looking out at the passing scenery, and I thought to myself, is it possible? that God would ever want me? You know, the answer to that question is yes. It's always yes. I think of the words recorded for us by Jeremiah the prophet. If you'd like to see them, open your Bible to Jeremiah 31. This is an amazing verse because it, it really reveals to us the heart of God. But Jeremiah 31, verse 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you need more time, mercy. Okay. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You know, friend, I don't know where you are today, but if you feel that somehow you haven't registered on God's radar screen, I have news for you. Before he hung this world in space, he saw us sitting here. You do register on his radar screen. And he does love you. I think of the quote recorded for us in Review and Herald 1910. It says, God wanted them, else he would not have sent his son on such an expensive errand 
to redeem them. Isn't that precious? Yes, dear friend, God loves you. Well, my time at Glendale Academy, my mom, as I shared with you, stuck us there to get us out of public school, wasn't um, uh, a real positive experience at first. Um, you know, I, I, there was a, a social, there was an economic difference between me and my peers. Glendale at that time, going to school there, people had quite a bit, you know, they were financially well-to-do. And my family, <clears throat> I wouldn't say exactly we were poor, but we weren't far from there, okay? Um, how many remember when going to Salvation Army was just for poor folks? Oh, come on now. <laughs> Y'all are there. Uh, we went to Salvation Army. I used to ask my mom to take us to Salvation Army in the, near, in the other community for fear that my, I might, a classmate might see me coming out. But uh, even today, when I... Now, everybody goes to Salvation Army today. I, I drive by, and every once in a while, I'll see a Mercedes-Benz parked there, and I thought, not in my day. You would not have seen that in my day. But we, that's where we went to, to get our clothing. Um, we did not have much money. I recall, as kids, we would be driving down the street, and it'd be trash day, and my brother and I would be looking to see what was being thrown out, to see if we can find stuff we could fix. That's how we got our bicycles. Are you with me? And so, but going to Glendale wasn't like that. The kids had, uh, had funds, and not unlike us. And so my mother got a job at uh, Glendale Adventist Medical Center uh, so that we could get, we could have an Adventist education. My father wouldn't pay for it. And so my mother, uh, as an OR tech, um, was able to pay for my sister and I. The church helped us. Uh, subsidized us so that we could attend. Um, my grades weren't the best at school. There are a number of reasons for that, which I won't go into now. But I was able to gain a level of popularity because of sports. Now, you can look at me. I'm not tall. I am not strong. I'm not even fast. But I was a brainy player and uh, very tenacious. And so um, I gained acceptance with my peers uh, through sports. But after graduation, all that, of course, dissipated. My father wanted me to work. I didn't have any skills. My mom wanted me to go on to an Adventist college. I had no money. And uh, so I went to, a, to a Glendale Community College and there experienced some culture shock when I saw lots of unmarried single females pregnant. Didn't see that at the academy. I saw young people leaving, uh, living deviant lifestyles. Didn't see that at the academy. I had teachers that didn't care. Uh, I remember seeing one after class, and I said, I have a question on this. He looked at me and he said, class is over. It's not my problem. And he left. And, uh, you know, and I struggled with direction. Um, and eventually, I, uh, I dropped out of college. I didn't, my parents didn't know. I'd still come home and lay my books out like I was still attending. I was living a lie. And, uh, and I remember trying to pray to God, this God that I didn't think really cared for me. I thought maybe, maybe he would take pity. But the heavens seemed like brass. Have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed and you felt like your prayers were just bouncing back off the ceiling? You know, it's interesting that I couldn't see or hear God during that time period. But years later, when I look back over that period in my life, he was there. He was listening. Problem is, I couldn't hear him. I couldn't see him 
but he was there. And um, during this time, uh, I had a number of uh, setbacks. You know that <clears throat> there, are different, there are different drugs of choice for people in the world today. Al uh, workaholism is, is one uh, of, of dealing with stuff. And for me, it was sports. Um, and um, I, I would go to the gymnasium not far from my home to play basketball. In my neighborhood was a gang, there were a lot of gangs in my neighborhood. Uh, shootings was a common thing in my neighborhood. And uh, when we went to play basketball in my neighborhood, you were playing with gangs. Nobody called foul. In fact, you knew who was, who was from out of town when they called foul. Everybody would kind of look. Nobody did that. It was not an uncommon thing for people to make a beeline from the ER from that from the basketball court, and, uh, and I was one of those. I ended up tearing up my ligaments in my ankle and, and, um, and, and injured my lower back in a play. Uh, this was very significant because that was one of the main ways with sports that I escaped, that was gone. The other was watching sports, and LA teams that year did very bad. Lakers lost to the Celtics in seven games uh, that, that year. And so this was very devastating things for me in my young life. And, uh, and then, of course, all my friends had gone off to college, and I was alone in the city of Glendale of 150,000 people, alone. Um, for a little while, a friend of mine came back. His name was Andre. He was, uh, and that kind of kept me going. Uh, but then uh, I went to visit him one morning, and he announced to me that he was going back to La Sierra, and I was going to be alone again. And I said, well, you know, I'm glad for you. And... Um, and I got in my car and headed home. Uh, up to this period, I had really been toying with the idea of ending my life. The devil is really good <clears throat> at pushing you into a corner and robbing you of hope. He's really good at, at encasing us in a velvet blackness and that we can see no hope. But friend, I want to tell you that beyond that velvet blackness is Christ. Amen. And that Jesus has a plan. He does. And so if anybody finds themselves there today, come see me. My number's there in the bulletin, call me. But uh, on this particular day, as I was heading home, I made the decision to end my life. I was getting off the freeway, at uh, the, uh, the two freeway, and uh, York Boulevard exit, and from that exit to my home was a 15-minute drive. I remember nothing until my wheels hit the... Uh, uh, the driveway of my home, that 15-minute drive was, I don't remember one thing, not a stoplight, nothing. I walked into the house, and, uh, and I began the process of ending my life. It was January, second week of January, 1985. I won't go into details. It doesn't matter. I don't want to put a seed in anyone's mind. But something happened that changed my life. God spoke to me. And I, the best way I can describe it is that it wasn't audible. It was in my head, but it was loud, and it was clear. And he quoted Matthew eleven twenty eight to me. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, <clears throat> it scared me. I was startled by that, and... Because I thought I was alone in that house. I was not alone. And at first I was angry because I had finally come to the place to bring an end to my misery. 
And now God was asking me to hang on. And, but then I was struck with the reality that God was interested in me. God did care. And so I, as I was wrestling with all this in my mind, I, I cried out to him and I said, Lord, if you're real, save me. And I was just emotionally drained. I walked over to my bed. I just fell on my bed asleep, fully dressed. Have, have you ever had one of those sleeps where your head hits the pillow and the alarm goes off? H- have you ever had one of those where all of a sudden it's, it's morning? And, and, and that's what happened for me. The, the phone rang. It was my friend Andre. And I saw the morning light. And I couldn't believe it was morning, and Andre was asking me if I would drive him to La Sierra. This was very significant, because Andre was like the worst driver ever. (laughs) I can tell you stories of the number of accidents this guy's been in. And he was a terrible navigator. And so he asked if I'd take him, and I said, sure. What I didn't realize is that God was already at work to answer my prayer. So I picked up Andre, I took him to La Sierra. He scampered off to get registered. And I stood there and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? It was an hour and a half away. And I thought, well, my best friend goes to school here, Dana Michael Boggs. I'll go see Dana. And, uh, and as I turned to head towards Calkins Hall, who do I see walking towards me but Dana Michael Boggs? And uh, the CIA have a motto. It says, uh, their motto is, there's no such thing as a coincidence. Did you know that? That was the CIA's motto. That's actually the Christian church's motto, friends. They took our motto from us. No such thing as a coincidence. I was about to have, I had an appointment with, a, with, with one of God's divine appointments. So Dana comes, and we start talking, and he says to me, George, uh, after we chatted, he says, do you know my roommate just left? Another coincidence. He says, uh, I don't have a roommate. Do you, would you like to come to La Sierra? And I said, you know, Dana, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And he said, yeah, but, but do you want to come to school here? I said, I, I don't have the money. And then he got in my face and spoke slowly, because you got to do that sometimes. <laughs> he said, would you like to come to school here? And I said, yes. He said, come with me. So he took me to the office, and to, he introduced me to his boss. His name was Dave Fainer, nice man. And he said, uh, uh, Mr. Fainer, this is my friend George Baute. He would like to come to school here. Can you get him set up? He said, absolutely. So he sat me down across from his desk. He says, George, you'd like to come to school here? This is great. Uh, Tell me, son, uh, what what kind of scholarships do you have? I said, "Uh, I don't have any scholarships. He said, that's okay. He says, "Tell tell me, what kind of grants do you have? I don't have any grants. Loans? I don't have any loans. Well, son, how much money do you have? I don't have any money. He said, I see. Okay, well, let me take a look at your application. I don't have an application. Letter of recommendation? Nope. How about your school transcripts? I I don't have that either. So he said to me, okay, so he hands me an application, and he starts making phone calls. I don't know who he's talking to, and I'm trying to fill out this application. They're huge, and I'm filling this thing out. And it must, I don't know, 45 minutes. I'm about done with this thing. The phone hangs up, and he says to me, uh, George, I want you to go down to, how many of you have ever been to La Sierra? Okay, how many went to school there? 
Okay, so a couple of you. So he says, go down to the gymnasium. That's where everybody's registering. Up on the, the, the gym stage, uh, you're going to see a desk, and there's a man named Dr. William Fagel. Go see him. And I said, okay. So I went over there, and I talked to Dr. Fagel. He was waiting for me. He said, have a seat. I did, and he got a phone. And you know, my friends, as I looked out at the gymnasium floor and saw all those young people going from just from table to table registering, my heart ached. I remember tears welling up my eyes. I just wanted direction, you know? And, uh, and I, I was praying, and I said, God, please set it up so I can come here. And uh, I hear Dr. Fagel hang up the phone, and he looks at me, and he says, son, you have money in your account. Go register. And I was in a dream world. Um, I, I, everything happened so fast, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, later, it's really interesting, later I would work for Dave Fainer in his department. And let's say this is uh, the main entrance to the ad building uh, there at La Sierra. And let's say this end bench right here was the booth where the financial aid office was. Right across the hallway was recruitment, which is where I worked. And then there was a little office here and a big office there, and I was in the back. And in between were telemarketers, computers, printers, lots of noise. And it was hard to hear stuff that was happening out here. But I tell you, friends, whenever somebody was turned away from that office, from the financial aid office, because they didn't have everything they needed to register, somehow it wafted its way back to me. If they, didn't, if they had everything but didn't have their picture on their application, they couldn't register. And there I, I came with nothing. And God registered me. It was as if God was saying to me, I want you to remember, I brought you here. I brought you here. And God took care of my bills. I worked very hard. I was able to pay for some of my bills. I took out loans. But God took care of my finances. Um, I, it makes me think of that quote in Philippians 4.19, that promise, my God shall supply all your need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, we have some young people here. And if you feel the Lord is leading you somewhere and you see him opening doors, trust that he will provide what you need. He will do it. Well, anyway, that first night at La Sierra, I went to my, my desk. My roommate was gone. And I, and I panicked because now I was in college. And I did not see myself as college material at all. Um, I, in my mind, college was for the intellectual elite and I did not register there anywhere. I had no business in college. And I remember I said to the Lord, I said, God, I'm a phony. I don't belong here. And it won't take long for them to figure that out. You've got to help me. What, do, what am I going to do? And there was a trash can right in front of me from the previous guy who had left. And there was a piece of paper. It was this piece of paper. I've kept it with me ever since. And, and all I could see was this. Can you see what that is? It's praying hands. I pulled it out, and this is what it said. This, this, uh, this little quote actually appeared in Review and Herald, 1965. No one knows the author. But this is what it said. Prayer is the answer to every problem in life. It puts us in tune with divine wisdom, which knows how to adjust everything perfectly. So often we do not pray in certain situations because from our standpoint, the outlook is hopeless. But nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Nothing is so entangled 
then it cannot be remedied. No human relationship is too strained for God to bring about reconciliation and understanding. No habit is so deep-rooted that it cannot be overcome. No one is so weak that he cannot be made strong. No one is so ill that he cannot be healed. No mind is so dull that it cannot be made brilliant. Whatever we need, if we trust God, he will supply it. If anything is causing worry and anxiety, let us stop rehearsing the difficulty and trust God for healing, love, and power. And so I remember standing up in my room and I pointed to that line that said, no mind is so dull that I cannot be made brilliant. And I said, Lord, I'm going to hold you to that. You know, when I graduated from La Sierra, I graduated with a 3.2 GPA. That's not bad. That's a solid B. Later, when I graduated from the master's program, I graduated with a 4.0. But it's all a tribute to God and His promise to supply what we need. I lay all the accolades at the feet of my blessed Redeemer and Savior. You know, <clears throat> when I look back over those dark years when I almost took my life and there appeared to be no future, it was amazing to me to discover how God was in fact there. And if you're in a dark valley right now and you don't feel God's hearing your prayers, I want to tell you, God is hearing your prayers. He is there. He is with you. You may not see him, you may not hear him, but he is with you. It's very interesting. If you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah 42. There's a promise that I found there that so described my journey with God, especially during that dark time. And I pray this for the wayward children of others. But it's found in Isaiah 42. Are you there? Isaiah 42, verse 16. It says, I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things I will do for them and not what? Forsake them. Isn't that precious? That's what God is all about. Anyway, my greatest blessing was the Lord Jesus Christ. And my second greatest blessing is my wife, Sue Ellen, that I met there at La Sierra. Um, Sue Ellen and I, when we dated, she made it very clear that there were two things that she never wanted to be and one was a pastor's wife. <laughs> and uh, she felt pretty safe when she married me that that was not going to, to be a, a concern or an issue. And we married, I don't know if I mentioned it, July 8, 1990. Uh, anyway, we uh, eventually made our way to Wilmington, North Carolina, and I became active in the church, deacon, head deacon, became an elder. But for 10 years, people were saying to me, are you a pastor? And I would say, no, not with my past. God would never want me as a pastor. And uh, for 10 years, that went on. Later, I went to Southern to get my master's so I can teach at uh, Bible in high school. And, um, and I was taking a class by uh, Derek Morris on spirituality. And one of the books that I was reading there was How to Recognize God Leading in Your Life. And as I was reading the book, it realized God was calling me to be a pastor. John, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't ask to be one. But I saw that God was calling me. 
So I went to my knees and I said, Lord, you know how I feel about this. I feel disqualified. But if you're calling me, that's your business. I said, but I'm going to make, I just have this to say though. I'm not going to lift a finger to make it happen. King David didn't put himself on the throne. So if you want me a pastor, you make it happen. You have my answer. I will yield to your leading. Now, of course, I had to talk to Sue Ellen about this. By the way, she's a wonderful pastor's wife. God knew what he was doing. And about two weeks later, I got a phone call from a man named Jim Hohen, who was the president of Kansas-Nebraska Conference. And I want to tell you, I've never been to Kansas. I don't think I'd flown over Kansas. I went, you can ask my wife, I went and grabbed a map to find out where Kansas was. And, uh, and at later, I talked to him, and I said, how did you get my name? And he said, you know, I don't recall how I did, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask the Lord how he got my name. And it's been an incredible journey um, with the Lord. We've, we've, of course, started out North Carolina, then we went to Tennessee, Kansas, North Carolina, Arkansas, Idaho, and now we're back in North Carolina again for the third time. And when I look back at the way that everything that I would have missed had I taken my life, what a pity. When I think of the people that God has used me to reach for him, what would have happened to those people? Oh, my friends, if you're contemplating it, come see me, I pray. The devil has a plan for your life. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. God has something to share with you here, friend, if you're struggling this morning. Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to read it, verses 11 through 13. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of what? You know, a lot of people think that God is the big killjoy in the sky. That if you give your life to him, you're not going to have fun anymore. That's a lie, isn't it? Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. Go and pray to me and I'll listen to you. And you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What a wonderful God. You know, as I close here, I want to thank God for a mother who would not give in to appearances but continue to pray for her wayward boys. I'm thankful for the school teachers and the, the church members and pastors who were, reached out to us. I'm thankful also for God's faithfulness, especially for providing me such a wonderful wife and wonderful children. But I'm thankful for God's power to transform a life like mine. And I'm thankful that he really did care about me and still does. So my appeal to you this evening is this, or this morning. If your heart is aching for something better, if your heart is aching for meaning, for peace, for joy, for hope, dear friend, I give you Jesus. The one who said to me so long ago those precious words, he speaks them to you this morning. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God bless you.